0: We are so glad that you're here because you're choosing to thrive after betrayal, trauma, or addiction. Hi, I'm Ashlyn, The Once Betrayed.
1: I'm Kobe, The Once Addicted. And I'm Brandon, The Expert. Now why am I an expert? Because I've treated betrayal, trauma, and addiction for over a decade. I want to invite you guys over to our premium site where you get in-depth content
2: and access to us. We answer questions there for you and you get interaction with like-minded people. To find that site, go ahead and click details and scroll to the bottom, you'll see the link to our Patreon
0: site. All right. So before we do our podcast, we are always talking, you know, we're not not around each other for a week. And Brandon just told us a story that I think you guys need to hear.
1: (laughs) So I just got a dog a year and a half ago. You guys have heard about my dog and uh, he's he's a puppy and he's big and he doesn't know his own strength and all that. Anyways, my, my mom was coming over to my house. And uh, she was bringing her friend with her. And I was in the car with him. And uh, I, said to, I said to her friend, I said, hey, have you met my dog, Willie? And uh, she said, oh, that wild thing, that mangy <laughs> wild thing.
2: <laughs> no. and
1: so He's a rad dog. <laughs> oh, he's great. It's a yeah. wired hair pointing griffon. Yeah, I mean, he's a puppy. He's awesome. learning how not to be so wild, kind of. <laughs> anyway, so we go to the backyard and Willie's in his kennel. And I let Willie out. And he gets all excited. And uh, he he jumps in the air and does this excitement pee thing <laughs> and, and pees a line across her face. <laughs> no,
0: <laughs> it's, it's terrible. <laughs> and it sounds like and, that. And I was
1: mad at Willie, but deep down I was like, well, she got what she
2: asked for. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh He's like, yeah. I
2: knew that wild thing comment came from you. It's what you get. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> you know. And this comes up. Kobe and I are surprising her our two girls oh. at, for Christmas with a puppy. So uh, yeah. this, get ready. All of this mess get, is coming our way. Get, the thing about it is this friend, she <laughs>
1: she's known like as the, as the friend of my mom's that will dog sit for like all my siblings and oh, stuff. Serious.
2: She hasn't offered. For me,
1: <laughs> And she for sure will not. Yeah, now. I don't think she will. <laughs> so she's like, oh. yeah, I'll put on a hazmat suit for the weekend and watch your dog.
2: <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> Yeah. Okay, so we, we, we had a dog, I have to say this, we had a dog in college, a little Boston Terrier, we are like, the second year we were married, and his name was Eddington, and if you know what a Boston Terrier looks like, yeah. you'll laugh at the name, because it just makes yes, sense. perfect. This little guy, anytime I'd see him, oh, Eddington, Eddington, my voice would get really high, he would get so excited that he would pee as yeah. well. yeah. <laughs> And,
0: <laughs> if so, Kobe's on the bed and he'd say, "Hey, Eddington," and he pees all over the bed, it's so, like so. I, so I
1: hop on. I hop on YouTube. I'm like, "How do you get your dog to stop excitement peeing?" And the answer was, uh, "Don't don't get your dog excited." <laughs> oh, okay, thanks. <laughs>
2: There's no help on YouTube for that one. <laughs> a, okay. Yeah, this is just a peek behind the curtain in the in the day in the life of. <laughs> We got to have
0: some laughs before we talk about the real stuff. So let's start talking about the real stuff. So um, this was a review that we um, got. It said, I just listened to the Transparency podcast, which was, I believe, last week's podcast podcast. Um, We live in a small town and have no therapy options, especially for this kind of thing. So thank you for doing this. It's so good to hear Kobe say what my husband is probably thinking. And Ashlyn, you get it. And when I'm listening to you, hoping you'll say or ask something, you do. Then Brannon and Kobe's response is always what I'm needing just to understand. And because my kind, giving husband that's paralyzed literally in all ways by shame, can't own his truth, doesn't talk, gaslights me, all the things... You guys invite, or you guys give me understanding. So thank you. Thank you. That's awesome. rad. Yeah. Super nice.
1: That's cool. And it, I, I like how she's mentioning our most recent podcast. So uh-huh. mm-hmm. she must be up to date on what we're doing. Totally. So,
0: well, okay. So Brandon, I want you to speak to She says, we live in a small town. There's not a lot of therapy options. We hear this. All, the, All time. the time. Yeah. So there, there's a
1: lot of options for people who don't otherwise think that they have resources and help. So one is, is hop on, on my website for my clinic, therapyutah.org, dot, dot no matter where you're at in the country. And um, uh, we can we can get you some resources to some good therapists. Um, you can call us 385-254-3522 um, and, and get some resources. We can help you out. So... Uh, we'll do the best we can at least. And um, then there's also just, you know, we we have Patreon, we have this podcast, there's so much information, there's community out there just online. And so to know that you're listening to our podcast is awesome. But also, I know we plug our Patreon a lot, but really, there's a lot more information there, there's community there. Um, and then there's what you guys do. So you want to talk about yeah, that? Yeah, I mean,
2: just, just real quick, Ash and I both do group accountability, which is different from group processing that Brennan, you have, because it's not therapy, but it's simply just, here's our check-in format, and let's just teach you the skills of recovery, and let's hold you accountable. So there are weekly calls or nightly check-ins, and those are for both the betrayed and the addicted, and uh, then they do one-on-one. I know I know
1: uh, several of our clients work with you, and they work with me, and um, I, th- I think it's a stellar combination yeah. of, you know, we, we dig into the the deeper stuff maybe, but with that, that structure, that, that accountability, I call it the recovery capital around them, mm-hmm. um, along with the therapy work, it seems to really accelerate recovery. And, and if you're, you're out there in some small podunk town, wherever, um, hit us up, um, and, and we can either help you or we can steer you in the right direction. Totally. So That's really
2: what this is about, is making sure that you get the help that you need because we know... Ashley I know what it's like to be in that dark place, and and just to be super mind like I guess aware of this, we started specialized recovery f- in 2014, and there were far fewer resources by way of CSATs available then, and even fewer back when you started, Brandon, and so even though they were there were resources available to us for three years before we actually sought it, here in our community, we still didn't take advantage of it. So. Right. Um, just because you might live in a place where there is no options for you. You might live in a place where there is. And part of that's just knowing.
1: Right. it's Awesome.
2: Okay. Let's roll. All
1: right. Should we jump in?
2: So we're
1: talking today, one of my, one of my favorite topics, um, and, and I'm getting more and more into this, um, the power of intention and creation in your life. So, um, you know, it, it, I'm starting to see more and more. It's not so much about. What you do, it's about why you do something and where you're coming from energetically um, as you do those things, so that you have you create certain results in your life, um, you resonate in certain energy. So, um, and you guys can speak about this with recovery, but an example I give a lot is like if I buy my wife flowers, um, I might buy her those flowers out of guilt, um, out of fear fear that she's mad at me and I want to try to fix it. And, and, uh, and so th- I can really, I can give her those flowers in a selfish way and she might take them and like that they smell good and look good. But deep down think you jerk, like you just, these flowers are so, so, so I could go give her flowers out of love. Um, and that's a much different experience than giving her those flowers out of guilt and I'm creating something different. If I'm in tune with her and I want her to know she's loved and it's selfless on my part, and I, that I don't have any expectation of her response, then I'm creating some level of connection and love in that environment. Um, now, I might be doing the exact same thing, but the intention behind what I'm doing um, really determines what I'm creating. And I see, we, I see this in recovery all the time. Um, men and women come to treatment and they start their recovery programs with certain intentions and then they end up with certain results, oftentimes things that they don't like, R- right? So um, do you guys want to speak to your experience <laughs> with that? I'm,
2: I'm thinking of something very specific okay. as far as like the doing. Oh. Just in, just in relationship to your example of giving flowers, okay? <laughs> okay. So... So Ashland's going to, for those of you who are just listening, what you're not seeing is the is Ashlyn's face that I'm observing right now. What? We're going to see it change as I as I uh, just start the story. Because
0: I, I don't know what he's going to say.
2: Totally. So my equivalent of what you just shared as far as giving flowers. So when Ashlyn would leave the house, I would clean, deep clean. There's a the smile. She's like, okay, now I know where he's going. I would deep clean. I would move furniture and vacuum. I'd like deep clean toilets, like... I would just, the house would be just like
1: awesome. You need to come to my house.
2: (laughs) No, (laughs) because I did that out of shame because while Ashland was gone and I would relapse, my intention was purely, my my intention was um, to clean purely out of shame.
1: Right. Were you were you actually serving her and creating love? Oh, and like it, that cleaning was creating, all about me. C- creating a beautiful place around you and beauty. No,
2: it was all about me. It
0: is my my um my love language, acts of service. However, it, I always knew like there's something behind this. That, yeah. that that toilet might
1: be completely spotless and shiny and clean, and the energy in there completely dirty and nasty and horrible. Yeah. Yeah. Right?
2: And and that's exactly how. The, the, and this is, this is where I, my head was during all that is she's going to be so mad at me I have to do something that's going to help alleviate the pain that I'm going to feel I didn't even actually think that but I, that's really what it was and um, she's going to be mad if I do this maybe she'll be less mad and so I just like clean in a, in a big way so as we got into recovery and I had moments of cleaning not from a place of um, shame not from a place of I've got to, I've got to do this out of penance, for my mistake. Ashlyn would be like, "Wait, so you're deep cleaning? Are you what's okay? up? Why? Right? Because
0: yeah. it, for me, I I was used to that other intention. There's a the betrayal trauma yeah. coming up.
1: Totally. that's what that is. Like, w- at, normally a clean house, awesome. Yeah, but with betrayal trauma, there, not so
2: awesome. Totally. Right. So yeah. that took that took a lot of mindfulness on my part to on both
0: parts because I had to make sure I wasn't. But, but I had ahead. just
1: in, in your trauma yeah. mind, right? I yeah.
2: had defined my cleaning the house from a place of shame right. and from a place of relapse. So it took a lot of mindfulness, a lot of work think, think of the to deni- redefine think that. Think of
1: the denial there, just the, the the addict thinking there. I've relapsed. I betrayed you. I've hurt you. But if I clean the house, then it, it'll, it'll ease the pain. <laughs> yeah. you know, it's, it's, it doesn't make much sense. But in your mind, it's like, well. It's better than nothing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
2: And if you think about it from just a a point of like allegory, like I mess up and then I clean to try to clean up the mess. Right.
0: Hmm. Yeah. You know, okay, so can I bring up something that came up a few times this week with people asking questions? And I think it goes with this topic. How did Kobe start into recovery? What motivated you, Kobe? And people ask like, what did you do to get him on board? My answer is, I didn't like I had no influence over Kobe wanting to make change.
1: Well, uh, uh, can I add to your question before he answers? Sure. Sure. Um, what intention did you need underneath to actually get into real recovery? Right. So, so so those are the the questions, the same question (laughs) really, right? Because, because we can talk about the do all day long. Mm -hmm. Well, I called a sponsor and I went to, you know, specialized therapy and this and that, but, but, but what, like you've created something here with your recovery. Ashton, you've created something here with your recovery. How have you guys done this? What energy has it come from? What intention deep down within you have you taken and used to create this thing called your recovery?
0: I'll be super honest. It was not, our intentions in the beginning were fear-based. Yeah, okay, so they weren't.
1: That's normal.
0: They weren't, I think everyone puts this on this pedestal that like, the way we've done it is the right way. And when, until we get there, we haven't made it. And I'm like, actually we started out really crappy. Right. And we didn't do it right, you know, but. And that's here. normal.
1: <laughs> I see people shift all the time. They get into recovery, they start working it from a place of fear and guilt and shame. And then they realize like, we're not getting the results we want here from this. And then it's a, it's a, it's kind of a rude awakening. And uh, you have to reevaluate. Why am I doing what I'm doing here? And what needs to shift? So you can answer now, Kobe. Sorry.
2: Well, that's just spurred on another thought of, of, uh, spe- I'll speak to willpower on that <clears throat> as far as that's role and what I've observed for decades of living in addiction. So I'm going to speak to number one, what was the intention that I had when I first started? And then number two, Brandon, to your question, what, how did that intention change that led to real recovery? Okay. So the, the original intention that led me to seek specialized help, because we'd been to three different therapists before we we um, found Amy Andrus, whom we loved dearly. So my intention of going and getting specialized help was purely from a place of fear that I was going straight to hell because I had had a second affair. Period. End of story. Yeah. Fear fear so that
0: doesn't sound like it's going to help you stay in recovery if you stay there then you're gonna actually what
1: what what will start happening maybe you can speak to this but you'll create more fear so you'll 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 have fear that ashlyn won't see what you're doing in your recovery you'll have fear that that you're not good enough and you better prove yourself and show everybody how awesome you are in your recovery
0: or when am I going to relapse? I've never gone this far When long. am I going to, and,
1: and so, fe- yeah, so I better white knuckle my sobriety because I might. And, and so fears underneath all of it and, and uh, other people can feel that mm-hmm. um, there's not peace there when there's fear there.
2: Yeah. That's really interesting. So, and I can, I can see all of that in my head just as we're talking about this. So my fear that the original intention of I'm, I'm literally my salvation is on the line here. My eternal salvation is on the line. That was the impetus. That was the motivation, and it stayed that way for months. Okay. Um, however, the education and the vulnerability and the work that I was doing, as well as the accountability, was yielding little bitty steps of change yeah. within me. Okay. Where I would I would hear certain principles. For example, um, I, I okay. Here's one. Um, there was a study done in Australia that said addicts of any kind who make their bed every day or who do the dishes every day or have some kind of daily routine have a dramatic in, a decrease in addictive behavior if they are engaged in um, like a simple task like that each day. And um, I was like, okay, oh my gosh, like that makes total sense. I need to be really habitual. So there were th- in, in what I do, right. So I began that process. But it took months of doing that. Um, and I think the big threshold for me on this as far as when I transitioned when I when I can legit say that I transitioned, was probably month six because month five I was freaking out because I was still afraid. I was still in fear that come month six, I was going to relapse again because that was the longest that had ever gone since I was like, I don't know, seven. Right. Without acting out in some way. Right. And I I had to that point, three stints of six months. And so once I got through, once I got through that, then it was like, oh, then that fear of relapsing kind of fell by the wayside. And what really took came front and center was realizing the change that took place. And I think the big piece on this was when I wrote a letter to addiction, just saying essentially like you suck and you betrayed me and you you were like my blanket and you always set me up. And then on the heels of that, I wrote a letter to recovery and identified, okay. And that wasn't the assignment, the letter to recovery, but I thought, okay, I want to do this because I want to write a letter to recovery as to what recovery represents to me. So th- I think that's really when it transitioned from, I was, I was out of fear for my, again, typical addict, right, reasoning behind this, selfishly driven. <laughs> right. I, w- I was selfishly motivated because of me. And then that changed when I had spent enough time in healthy surroundings, getting educated, being vulnerable, and being accountable to learn the skills and the lifestyle that it takes to be in recovery and that's when things change. And it wasn't long after that I wrote that letter to recovery that I began sponsoring and mentoring guys that, that the real deep seeds of recovery began to sprout, where I loved showing up and going to therapy. I loved going to group. I loved the building that I was in. That's still the most, um, Amy's office is like the most sacred place for me of all places on this earth because of the change that took place there. Right. So right. that's that's how the intention kind of changed for me. But let me actually just say this. I told you about willpower very quickly. Willpower, I've always said this from the beginning for me, only, only lasted so long for me, meaning I could only white knuckle. That's kind of like my uh, real-life example of what it means to have willpower in recovery. Willpower only lasts so long, and it's not meant to be the thing that that provides lasting recovery. I'm a big believer that it's the skill set that needs to be the first line of defense in recovery to prevent um, relapse or to prevent falling off the wagon, if you will, in some way. And then then as you leverage your recovery skill set, then willpower becomes the second line of defense and the motivator to execute the skill set that you have because willpower alone is not meant to get us into recovery it's like we can't willpower ourselves into heaven into in fact (laughs) a guy in one of my groups had hit a year's worth of sobriety um this week and he held up his chip in group because we do that on zoom and it's like a huge huge deal and this guy's changed internally like inside in a big way but i was like remember chris you can you can have a chip for a year you can have a five-year chip and you can still be a douche so I said, that's not who you are because you've changed internally. So there are many skill sets that go into recovery and many measures of recovery. Right. Sobriety is just one of those, but, um, intention is a huge, huge thing for me.
1: Well, what about for you, Ashton? How, how's your, how did your intention shift in your recovery? how did you create something different? Than just fear and control and
0: you know it's interesting because i had learned about betrayal trauma and addiction just months before we started probably four or five months mm-hmm. so it was like okay let's like learn about this thing but i didn't really do anything and so kobe was actually the guy who called um, the place to go to therapy auto recovery and uh, i was kind of like okay i'll go to this intake with you but I was really hoping that because I had shared that there was these things that he would go and do right. it. So here he is going and doing it, right. but he says, you need to come with me. They want us to go together. We get there and we do this intake and all the while I'm thinking like, this is great. They're, they're really going to help him, but I don't play a huge role in this. I don't have, I don't have stuff. Right. He, I'm he awesome needs to
1: get fixed. <laughs> Once he gets fixed, we'll be better. Yes. Yeah.
0: So yeah, our marriage will change when he changes. Yeah. And so when we go after this intake and they give us a plan and here's Ashlyn, you're going to go into this group for women to learn, you know, betrayal stuff and about addiction. And then you're going to do this. And this. I was like, wait, we're going to spend how much money from right. me? Like right. this is your crap. Right. So I started reluctantly and, and fear that, uh, that the marriage would end and right. that's the super honest part of it. it is just like I didn't want it to end as much. It's that love hate. I, mm-hmm. I hate who you are, but I also love you. Want, you Want You wanted
2: out, but you really didn't yes. want it to end. Yes. Yeah. And you and said that before you knew about the second affair.
0: Yeah. So yeah. Then six weeks into this recovery process, um, he told me about the second, but for me, I think it went on. I mean, I didn't like group that first month. Mm-hmm. It was super uncomfortable. I was not vulnerable like even 1% vulnerable. <laughs> just right. like, I don't like being here. I didn't say anything. Um, I don't remember a lot of that. Amy, our therapist, will laugh because she's like, you're like a different person. You would right. show up and just be different, right. right? And so I would say for me, it was probably around the same time that I had that shift too. And it's when we started a um, shame resiliency group. And we focused on Brene Brown material and read a book. And I it was all about my stuff. And I was like, wait, <laughs> I didn't bring anything into our marriage except like awesomeness. Right. So why the heck are we starting to focus on my stuff? Right. And I rem- <clears throat> we started doing like this bubble work where you would write all the things in your life that you think contribute to who you are today as an adult. Right. And it was like, oh, crap. Like I actually have stuff to work through. And it, it does affect who I am today as an adult.
1: But uh, what I'm hearing in terms of energy and intention. So at first it was kind of was fear-based, but it was also, um, there's some kind of apathy there of like, I'm not that into this. and then all of a sudden it, it started to shift and it was getting replaced with some humility and some self-reflection. For sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
0: And then it became, I started to enjoy going to group. I started to enjoy reading and listening to podcasts. And
1: See, now, now we're moving into acceptance and some, some peace yes. about what's going on. And
0: this is when Kobe and I started talking uh-huh. about stuff like we weren't really talking about recovery at that point other than I don't like going, or are you going to go? And it was that kind of thing. Um, but then at this point it was like, Oh my gosh, listen to what we talked about today at group. And I, this like self-reflection and we were starting to grow and it was, it was very different uh, than in the beginning.
1: Right. So, so uh, a lot of people will listen to this and they'll think, okay, well I want to do that. And, um, I have good news is I, I actually think that I know the process to shift your energy. Ooh. Um, there's ways to do it. Um, well I shouldn't say do it. Um, there's ways to create that. Um, but I'm going to save that for the deep dive the, the like the step by step, um, guide to start to shift. Um, but one thing I will say here is uh, one, one little clue I'll give here is it's not so much about what you, what you should do different in order to change. Um, the first thing you need to do is, is really recognize the, in, the intention that you have and the energy that you're putting out so that then you can start to release it and let go of it and replace it with something different. Um, beca- so some acceptance. Yeah. So, so if you, if Even you, if it's the bad. <laughs> if, you, if you're working your recovery from a state of fear and shame, you need to stop and say, oh, my gosh. Like, I realize that's where I, what, how I'm approaching this. And this is what I'm creating. So I'm going to keep creating that. And, and also, what is the fear about letting go of that? Because you're there for a reason. And so what do I need to let go of and, and, and practice some faith to say, okay, I'll step into something different here. Maybe, maybe I'll show up in my recovery work from a place of willingness and acceptance and peace. Yikes, that's scary because I'm used to fear, which I feel like keeps me safe. And so I don't want to let go of that fear.
0: Which sounds crazy, but it's still yeah, right It sounds crazy, right?
1: But it's it's about release. It's about surrender. It's about letting mm-hmm. go first and foremost so that then you can resonate in, in a different level of energy in your recovery. The thought
2: that comes to me about that particular point is that it is it was super important for you and I, Ashlyn, to sit in this unknown for a sustained period of time. And the unknown being specifically is when you said, I don't know if we're gonna to stay together. Yes, and
0: this was six weeks into Specialized. Yeah. yeah, this was
2: after the disclosure of the affair. And the, the important piece about that is, is that unknown of whether or not that would actually, that we'd actually stay together, compelled me to a place of acceptance. But there was also such deep powerlessness that I had, yeah. that it allowed me to just focus on me, and so the sustained period of time in the unknown, but with real actionable steps day to day with group once a week. But, but with Kobe, I think
1: that can go either way, right? I really, Say more. I really like what you just said. That state of unknown can compel you into acceptance. That sounds backwards. It sounds like how humans don't normally work when we're in a state of unknown. It compels us to fear. And, 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 and control, control and yeah. I, I gotta right. Yeah, but, but but there's an element when the unknown's there where you you realize you don't have control ultimately. Yes, totally. And you released, you let go, and it's like you know what, it is what it is. I'm gonna
2: move forward here, right? Yes. And that's kind of the the place you got to. It totally is. But but here's the interesting take on on my, from my personal experience on what you just said. There was zero control about my marriage. I had zero control over my marriage. But what I, what the dots that I connected really, really quickly was exactly about what you said as far as control is concerned. I didn't have control of my marriage, but I had control over what I could do. Right. And so I put my mind at work at controlling everything that I could do, which was my spiritual devotional, it was my workout, it was my journaling, it was my checking in, it was going to therapy. And it was your thoughts. Mm-hmm. It was very much so. And I accounted I for those but it was also me being very mindful of keeping my boundaries, okay? Right. So I had very little control, but what I did have control of, I poured my energy into. And so I was, I was really compelled to this place of helplessness, but that was really important for me right. because the dumb thing is about addiction, oh my gosh, I'm just now getting this. I was so scared of losing everything. That I wanted to control everything else but me, right? And so there's a there's
1: a real paradox there, right? There is like you, you want, and as you control everybody but you, you're actually creating losing everything.
2: That's creating chaos. But
1: but when you when you let go of trying to control everything around you, and you focused on what was in your control, you you salvaged everything, right?
2: right? And that was a super important place for me to, uh, to be in because that was really the first time in my life where I embraced personal responsibility and accountability yeah. and there was nothing else that anybody could do. And we looked to this earlier today before we started the podcast, but I just, it's important that, that everybody knows that, um, We all have angels who aid us, whether you believe in a higher power or not. My mom died four years before I started recovery. And my mom died of pneumonia and barbiturate abuse. And my brother-in-law, he passed and he spent 18 months on heroin. He was clean for three years before he passed. So every part of this that you're hearing is so beyond me. The change that I needed and wanted was so beyond me and what I could do. And I just, the only message I can portray in that, I guess share in this is number one, I'm not wishing that you have someone in your family die (laughs) to be your angel, I wanna be really clear. But that doesn't mean that the heavens aren't working to help you. And uh, I just am a big, big believer that uh, change is possible. There's nothing, there's no secret sauce in what we've done. It's possible for you. And to the betrayed, number one, it's not on you. But it's possible for you to heal too. I'll stop my opener moment. <laughs> um
1: I, I as you're talking Kobe, I you know we're talking about intention and and I'm talking about surrender and and I think um our audience can hear how you got to a, a state of surrender, you know, 12 steps, turn your will and your life over. And uh what happened was you had a real spiritual experience um, in your recovery you got to a point where you were done with the fear and control you let go and you let people guide you and, um, and that and that will change your energy your intention behind your recovery um, step three is my favorite step of all and I think it's it's so awesome because it gets you to that humble state of connection that's that's outside yourself, right? Yeah. So,
2: yeah, intentions I needed I needed intentions to change desperately. Yeah. Desperately needed them to change. And the cool part was is they were like legit right in front of me the whole time. But I had to let go of all the crazy making of trying to control everything else and just focus on me. And yeah, that was super empowering. And it did change me. So I've gone into way more of being from the from an authentic place of wanting change um rather than focusing on the doing from shame
1: you you know it's it's really interesting and you know we talk about amy a lot and i love amy and what's up amy i hope you're listening um <laughs> she does <laughs> <laughs> but uh a good therapist like it's it's really interesting because I have clients who I've worked with who are in just just amazing recovery and good relationships and great divorces or whatever they're whatever they're moving forward in and um, they they create it on their own um, as therapists we a good therapist knows that God's just working through us and um, this surrender you're talking about the angels talking to you we, we recognize that. I mean, we might just be their voice. We, you know, it's it's not us forcing you to do your recovery. Um, we can't work it for you. It won't get created that way. That's not how it works ever, right? So, so we recognize that we have to surrender your recovery over. Um, we have to be in tune and allow you to hear what you need to hear in your process, right? And so, and, and you guys experience that too with your your people that you work with, right? They want you to create okay. their recovery for them. Mm-hmm. And take
0: away that pain. and Yeah, we can't take us, that the, away. The, pl- the plan, and there is no plan. It all looks so different for all of right. us. and um, So, yes, you're right on, Brandon. And as much as we give Amy credit, she always gives it right back that, you know, right. you have to do your own part. Uh,
1: totally. My, my, my clients make me look good. Because <laughs> yeah, really, it's the clients that I don't do much for that do the best right so yeah uh, one quick story and this is one of my favorite stories and a lot of people listening know who Patrick Carnes is and he's um he's the guy who developed the CSAT training and has done a ton of research and as part of the training he talks and I might botch this just a little bit but um for like half a day he shares his story and he was about to get his, his doctorate in something, I can't remember, history or research of something, but it had nothing to do with psychology. And he was out, um, he was an exhibitionist, so he was out flashing people, and he ended up in, in the in the police station a couple times. He was married with a kid. And um, the first time I think he got off, and they were like, just don't do it again, Like and then he ended up there again and I think he got booked or something and he just he was about finished with his doctorate and he was sitting in that jailhouse or that police station and just thought this is not my story this is and this is back in like the 60s um, this is not my story this is not who I'm going to be this is not my life and so he took a complete turn in his life and he started the first essay groups he he, he got a doctorate in research psychology and developed all the programming for the CSAT training and changed the world because he let go and he let God work through him. Um, and, and in that moment, I mean, he logically, he probably should have just finished his doctorate and what he was doing, right? But he listened and he let go. And he's not only gotten in solid recovery himself for years and years and years, he's helped... How I don't know how many people get into recovery.
0: Yeah, I mean honestly, that's like powerful to my heart. But I think it's helped the people who are listening, whether they realize who he is or not. Right. Because, like you said, his his choice and intention to really make change affected us all.
1: Yeah, yeah, and he's done it. He's created that. It's awesome. And so, and you guys are creating that right now, and it's, and it's awesome.
0: So, all right. Well, let's take it over to our deep dive over on Patreon and wrap this up. And, you know, we laughed and we cried this episode. And um, we're glad that you're here and that you accept us as we are. All right. Thanks, guys. We'll see you.